there is a mindset out there that people think I can't do anything till I make this sort of amount of money until I have this amount saved. And that's just no way to live a life, right? I think being truly rich financially isn't mean that you have a bunch of money in the bank. It means that you have money in the bank, but you also have a life. Like you're able to hang out with your friends, you're able to do cool stuff, and you gotta figure out what that is. You gotta figure out how you can save, how many months you need to save to go do these fun things. But it should not be stopped, because I think you're gonna be miserable, and it's just not a good way to live your life. Ladies and gents, welcome into the Free Retiree Show, the podcast for career advice, financial advice. You're listening to episode 180. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy. And I'm alongside the Silicon Valley extraordinaire interview coach, Sergio Patterson. What is up, everyone? For today's episode, we're going to be talking about the most common misconceptions about money and wealth. There is a lot out there when we think about people that have money, don't have money, and a lot of things that are just true some things are false but Serge before we get into it I gotta ask you what do you think one of the top misconceptions about money and wealth is in your mind two come to mind the first one is with money all your problems will go away Ooh, I like that one yeah I think the more money I've made I'm not even on that level but my assumption is just because you have more money it's gonna make things maybe easier you gotta think of biggie biggie smalls more money, more problems. No, 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 no. It's mo money, mo problems, right? Mo money, <laughs> mo, mo money, problems, mo problems. So I think that's one thing I was thinking about. The other one was uh, I think most wealthy people I know I think the misconception is like they're gonna have the flashy watch, the flashy car, and the bling. But I think that's a misconception. I think the wealthiest people are like responsible. They've got all the money in the bank, and maybe they don't have the flashiest things. So I'm thinking like a misconception could be they're the ones with all the nicest things, and they look the richest. Yep, yep. I think that's. That's a good one too. Yeah. I'll give you mine. I used to work at Cordoval, which is a it's a very snazzy resort for the super rich. I think you have to have a quarter million to join. That was my job going through college. And so I actually got to see a great sample size in terms of you know wealthy people that were crazy wealthy. And I think one misconception that's out there is all really rich people are shallow or they just don't care. And I will say there was a lot of jerks where I worked at. There was a lot of people that just made you cringe. Not just because they had a lot of money. It was just the money they had with the attitude. It made it really hard to go to work sometimes. But I will say there was some fantastic people that I met there, members that were super wealthy and just very kind-hearted people. That's cool. We're talking about just super wealthy folks like that. They really care about you. Yeah, I remember, I'll give a little story. I used to know or talk to John Chambers, who was the CEO of Cisco. Yeah, CEO of Cisco Systems. That guy, every time he came in, I didn't know who he was, but he would say, hi there, Lee, how's your day going? And he has a little- Country he, accent? He has a little, little bit of a country accent from what I remember. And just kindest guy, even the people that worked there, they were like, oh, that guy's so nice. We didn't really know what he did. And then working there, I used to read my business books because that's when I was going through school. And I was literally reading a case study about him while he was driving up <laughs> to check in. That's crazy. And then I just asked him one day, I was like, hey, Mr. Chambers, what do you do? He's like, oh, I just work for Cisco. And I was like, what do you do there? I work for Cisco. Yeah, then- I am the boss of Cisco. Yeah, he didn't say it like that, though. He's, 
about. Pretty humble guy, but you meet people like that that are very kind-hearted, and so I won't say all rich people are jerks, but that's good to hear. In this episode, we're going to give you some of the top misconceptions about money and shed some light on them. But before we get into it, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can find us on all your major podcast outlets and Elevation Radio, and make sure you send your questions to ask at thefreeretiree.com. Let's go on to our top misconceptions about money and wealth. Number one, Serge, the more money I have, the happier I'll become. And I think you were on to this one, but what's been your thoughts through this as someone that has climbed the proverbial career ladder, right? And you've made more money. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on if that is true? I think on the surface, yes, you probably are a little bit, I call it not happier. You have less worries, which could in turn make you happier, I guess, but you're still the person you are. You're still that whatever you have going on inside you is not going to go away with money or whatever like problem or vice you have or whatever. But like, I will say the more money I've made, the less stress we are, the less worries we have, which could make us happier, but I don't think it eliminates or just makes me some smiley person or whatever. So I guess like the answer is no, but yeah, because it I would say it eliminates some stress and worries. Yes, 100%. Okay, so the way you answer that is perfect. And I'll tell you why, because obviously this question is subjective, right? People are gonna feel differently about it. Yeah. But I am gonna refer to a 2010 study, and this was done by Princeton's Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deaton. And they did a study that basically said, if you make $75,000 a year, your happiness basically plateaus, even if you make more money. That was what their study showed. And then it's another one, according to Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz, they're the authors of The Good Life, and they were part of a Harvard study for adult development. And it's the world's longest study on happiness. And they concluded that no, money will not buy you happiness. And they came to the conclusion that happiness was correlated with what do you think? Love or like connection? Yep. Pretty much spot on, Sergio. So good relationships yeah. lead to health and happiness. Yes, that's awesome. But I'm like, isn't if I have $20 million in the bank tomorrow, you're telling me I'm not going to be a happier person. <laughs> I'm going to be a happier person. <laughs> Maybe you will be for a moment in time. Maybe you will have this. Uh, Lee, if you have a hundred million dollars tomorrow, Okay, oh, we're going to be happy. But I think we're already genuinely people who are good with our lives. But if you have major issues, money's not going to solve those major. If you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, you're you have deep emotional issues, like yeah. money's not going to solve those things. I agree. So for my own life, I think the good relationships have meant more to happiness than money by far. As marrying smart obviously helps with your happiness. Finding purpose, huge, yeah, we right? Talk about that. We talk about that. How can you impact others? Give back to society. That leads to my happiness. And then at the bottom, of, I'm going to say financial control. Obviously, not worrying about debt, having an emergency fund, consistently investing. Those do, in a way, contribute to my happiness, to be honest, because they are a source of relief when it comes to my stress. I feel like I have options in life. I feel like I'm moving forward. So they do contribute to my happiness a little bit, just being honest. Yeah, it has to. It does. Your car blows up tomorrow. You can go buy a new car. There are yeah. some people who can't. And that's a day-to-day -day worry that some people deal with that we don't. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, having a little bit of money does make us a little happier, but nothing compared to the other things. No. I wouldn't say it's even close. Going through the ranks of where we both been, working an enterprise rent a car, not making that much money. and Come a long way. To where we're at now. I think the biggest thing is the family, the relationships. I think if I still put myself in those jobs, I would still be happy. But I think what's changed it the most is more sense of 
purpose, better relationships, a better quality of love. Those things I think have contributed way more yeah. than the money. But we'd be lying if we said the money didn't help a little bit. No, it helps with, if I was making, let's just say the same amount I was making 10 years ago, I would just be more stressed all the time. I don't know what my happiness level would be, but I would definitely be more stressed. Yeah, fair enough. So number two, a big income will solve all my financial problems. So a lot of us, we get into this mode where we think, oh, I just need to make more income. I need to make more income. And there is a thing that we've talked about on this podcast before, lifestyle creep. It is real. And the more money you make, you can find yourself, your expenses going up with your income. It's very common, right? So somehow when you're starting off in your career and you're only making 50,000 bucks a year and you figure out how to make your life work, still stress about money maybe, and then you start making bigger amounts of income and then you start buying more stuff and you feel like you're not getting ahead. That's a very common thing that we see in the Silicon Valley and certain signs that you might have been bitten by lifestyle creep and you don't realize it. Maybe you're traveling a lot. Maybe you got a super nice house or a bigger house than you can really afford. Maybe you got a nice ride. Maybe you're shopping a lot. These are all common things that I see from clients, things that I catch myself pondering about. Yeah. And so I think that the big income, it can actually, in a way, give us a false sense of security and it okays this new lifestyle and it traps a lot of people because they can be making some great dough a decade after they have that high paying job. They're looking at where am I? And they haven't gotten that far. I run across people and obviously my job is to talk about money. And it's funny, I'll run across people say, I was making 300000 or $500,000 a year. And it's like a sense of accomplishment for them. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it's like, where's all your money? And they're all oh, spent it. So having that high income ain't going to solve all your problems, right? So make sure you're adhering to responsible spending decisions. Make sure you're living by my favorite 50, 30, 20 principle, right, Sergio? 50% essential. <laughs> Sergio, don't you ask love me this. 30% discretionary, 20% going to saving and investing. And if you're saving that money and making that high income, that's when you're making progress. Don't just think because you have a high income, you're getting anywhere. And that's the way I look at it. Even when I worked at places like Cordoval or my jobs in college, there was times when I felt pretty proud of myself because I saved a couple hundred bucks and invested it. And I think that's how we all need to look at it. Don't judge yourself by the job that you have really, but judge yourself by what you're actually saving. I think that's important. Any questions on that one? No, I think that's a really good one because let's just say you get a big pay bump tomorrow, right? Unless you have a really good financial advisor, it's just you're making all this extra money, but then it's, do you have a game plan on what to do with all that extra money? And I think a lot of people just don't. And then it's just squandered. They just spend it or whatever. Yeah, everything you just said. Yeah. And so I think that's a really good tip is don't judge yourself by what you're bringing home every single year. If you're only making $30,000 a year, $50,000 a year, don't be down on yourself and say, oh, John Doe or Jane Smith, they're making so much more. Look about the percentage of your money that you're saving. And I think that's what you can be proud about. And so it doesn't matter if you're high income or not, everyone has this control. And I think that is the true like way you should judge yourself. What am I doing to tuck money away? That's my opinion on it. But I think that has served me well, served the people I work with. Number three, the bank is the safest place to keep your money. Serge, we talked about this one ad nauseum. Yeah. It's very common for us to think my money's in the bank. It's safe. Just sitting there. But the thing is, there's a thing called inflation and inflation is real. And if you talk to really old people, they're going to tell you, oh, my day, I used to buy a hamburger for a nickel. You've met those people. Yeah, but you got to work on your country accent. I, I think we might have some people from the South and <laughs> I think we just lost that audience. <laughs> <laughs> that was my old person accent. I could well, that's your old person accent. Yeah, I got the whole, I trumped myself. <laughs> Where 
girl when I used to get my lemonade. Just, just it used to be a nickel. That was my southern accent. Now people just turn off the episode. People love my voices, sir. You and I both. <laughs> nobody, <know that. laughs> nobody likes the voice. They love my voices. All right. So <laughs> the bank is not the safest place to keep your money. You need to keep some money in cash, right? It's important for all those emergencies, those things that we don't think about. You need to have some cash there, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, that cash is not going to make you wealthy. You need to invest that money. You need to invest in assets that are going to appreciate so you don't have to work anymore. The bank is not going to do that. And a lot of times people say, put your money in the bank. It's an old school mentality. God bless my grandmother. She would always, for my birthday, she gave me some cash and she said, put it in the bank. That was her saying. And I don't think she realized like the bank doesn't really give us anything, give us a little bit of interest, but that's not what's going to give you financial freedom. Number four, all debt is bad. Oh, that's a good one. There is a lot of people on this train right now about the all debt is bad. And we've done some podcasts not too long ago on good debt versus bad debt. And I truly believe that there is an absolute difference. And it's a huge one. Bad debt obviously cripples you financially, makes you a slave to somebody else. And then there's the type of debt that can make you wealthier, put money in your pocket. And we can't categorize them all together. It's very common. You're hearing financial gurus out there like Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, just talking about that's bad, but all debt's bad. And it's not. Like we got to separate the two. If you got massive credit card debt, a lot of auto loans, yeah, you're, that's probably stupid. But if if you're using debt for maybe your education, right? Getting a student loan to better yourself, make sure you don't go overboard. Yeah. Maybe you make a rule that says that you only take out whatever your expected salary is after you graduate, or maybe two years max. Where people really get hurt, they just go overboard. But keep it at that level. And getting student debt is not a bad thing, and it's going to make you better. And I'm a big fan of Dave Ramsey. I think a lot of his stuff's really good. A lot of times, it makes it seem like education is not important. Is he the mad money guy? He's the bold guy. He's always no. Nah, that that's Jim Cramer. Oh, Cramer. Okay. Actually, Dave Ramsey, he is a ball guy and he's older and he's got really good advice, but probably doesn't put enough value in getting education. So I don't agree there. I think people are better served with a college education. Just don't go overboard on it and understand that there's good debt, like debt for real estate, right? Getting a mortgage, that's going to make you a wealthier person overall right? So let's separate the two. So not all that is bad. Number five, you should not talk about your money problems. That's probably a good one. So I think you should. I think that if you're trying to be better, you're trying to become a better human being, and maybe you're not doing great in this area, being transparent and open with those that are important to you is probably the beginning of your path to changing everything, right? When we have problems with money and we don't talk about it, those problems tend to thrive in the dark, right? I always look at it as people that are addicts. When they don't talk about their problems, the problems get bad, right? You and I both know these type of people that just, they have a huge addiction problem and they don't want to talk about it. And thus the problem thrives and gets worse. I think it's important if we are trying to be better, especially in areas of finance, have a conversation with people that you care about, people that are important to you. Like Serge, you know a lot about what's going on in my financial life because I care about you. I share those things with you. Same thing with my wife. Like I'm going to share the things that I struggle with financially so she can hold me accountable. And I think that's important. Without accountability, I can't change and maybe won't change. And so there's a lot of things in my financial road that I need to talk to her about so she can hold my feet I, to the fire. I think this is a really good one. And it's, it's not an easy one because I think growing up, I feel like money was just not something you talked about. You didn't tell people how much you made. You didn't talk about your salary. You didn't talk about, even at work, there's this whole thing with like paid transparency. But I think even though you're a financial advisor and it benefits you if more people talk and want to have conversations about money, <laughs> but I think wow. in general, 
we should be more open, like and be able to come to our friends and family and say, I'm struggling with this thing because struggling financially could be the same as struggling with a drug or struggling with alcohol or struggling. You buy too many pairs of Jordans or you go and buy different cars or whatever, right? It could be that you could put it on the same level. Let's make this assumption that you got good people in your life, right? You got friends and maybe they got more money than you do. And you tell them, hey, I'm struggling. I got this credit card bill. I need to pay off and it's really tough right now. I'm spending too much going out. If you got a good friend and they're like, all right, we're going out to a dance studio. I don't know. I'm so out of touch. A club, a nightclub. It's a nightclub. <laughs> nightclub. <laughs> or we're going to go do whatever to spend some money. If they know that you have these problems, more than likely they're going to be, you know what? Sergio, let's just say Sergio, like he's struggling right now. I don't want to invite him out because I know he's in a bad spot. And I know if I invite him right now, maybe he's going to spend too much money. And I know he's trying to get a hold of that. Yeah. And I think if we internalize these things, we say, I'm just not going to talk about it. Your friends are still going to you know, invite you out and put you in situations to spend a lot of money until you can be open and say, I just can't afford to go on this trip to you guys. I would love to. I would love to go out to eat with you. I would love to go golfing with you. I just can't afford it right now. And a good friend will respect, respect you. It. They'll respect hearing that from you. And that's the thing is like, we need to not let our pride and our egos prevent those conversations. And I think looking back at my own life, at times when I didn't have as much money, it probably bit off way more than I could chew because I wouldn't have these conversations with people that Same. I was around. Same. I've been there. Put you in this vicious cycle. I think that's a good one. Talk about it. Don't make it taboo. Do it to your benefit so you can do better with the people that you're around. Birds of a feather flock together. Whoever you're closest with, have these conversations if you are struggling in that area. Number six, you need to have a lot of money to invest. That one, that's a big misconception. Doing the math, let's just say you got an 18-year-old and they got a job. They save 250 bucks a month. Their retirement, they're going to have right around $1.4 million. That is a cable bill and a mobile phone bill. 250 bucks. Yeah. They could be working at Subway. No disrespect to anyone that works at Subway. It's a lower paying job. They could be working at a fast food restaurant and they can do better than the best in Silicon Valley or the best people are hired at some of the best tech companies because they have discipline and it's possible if you have that. So whatever your situation is, don't get disheartened by what you're making. Don't feel like you can't do it because you know you didn't get your college education or whatever it is, right? If you have that discipline, you can tuck away money consistently. You can make amazing things happen and you do not have to have a lot of money to invest, right? It just takes a little bit of discipline, maybe a little bit of a side hustle like we've talked about before, and you can make some cool stuff happen in your life. Yeah, I love that one. Number seven, investing is too risky. First off, I would just say that if this is your opinion, you have to get over it or you will never move forward. Yes, there's a risk with investing. Let's just be honest about it. But the thing is like, you have to take a certain level of educated risk to move forward in your life. That's with your jobs. That's with your investments. Don't just go buy the next cryptocurrency that you're on Twitter. Or, now what are we calling it? X now? Is that what your boy Elon? I don't know. Your, My app just your boy updated. Elon is doing some crazy stuff for, for listeners that it, are man. new like he is a big elon guy he has elon tattoos uh, on his body know. drives multiple teslas he's an elon guy no comment <laughs> i am not an elon guy i do have tesla but tesla is plural but I, i'm not an elon guy <laughs> i don't know i don't know but anyway you got to take risk but educated risk smart risk with your investments with your career. Yeah. So don't have the mindset that investing is too risky. Maybe don't have all your positions in one stock or a few stocks. Spread it out. Yeah. Use diversified index funds. That's a great thing to do. But there's ways to offset your risk. And risk in investing depends on how you do it, right? If you do yeah. it the right way and you use academic science behind your investing and you understand how to value companies 
investing is not risky when done the right way. There is a lot of strategies out there that are risky and bad, and you just have to learn to avoid the bad ones. Like AMC, Dogecoin. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. If you were on a Reddit forum or Wall Street bets, you were probably on a bad path. If you were looking at TikToks for cool influencers giving you stock tips, you were probably on a bad path. So let's try to avoid those ones, but get that out of your mind that yeah. it's too risky to invest. I would argue you have to invest. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking, like, so you know, I play poker, right? And there are some people who play poker who gamble or risk more than they're comfortable losing. And I've never been someone that It'll go to the table with more money than I'm okay with losing. And I don't know if it's the right attitude to have with investing, but if you're not comfortable with the amount, maybe there's times where you have to go overboard, but I think in general, you should be comfortable with the money you're investing, whether it's $50, $1,000 a month, $10,000 a month, whatever it may be, you should be comfortable with that money. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah you should absolutely. be okay if it goes down. It's not going to end your world if it goes down. Absolutely. And like, folks, there's strategies out there with investing that you never really have to worry about that money going away with when we gamble it's a little different we could lose it all when you're investing using diversification and sector strategy investing there's not really a chance that you're going to lose it all unless you know the country gets invaded and they start yeah. dropping nuclear covid warheads. happens or something yeah even covid didn't do it something very serious maybe but if you're investing in single stock positions or single position cryptos or you got this friend that i got this new company <laughs> those are great ways to lose your money that's just Ask me. I got stories. That should be the next episode. Great ways to lose your money. Oh my gosh. I got so many now. Dude, Dude. that's the next episode. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good one. I got some entertaining ones. <laughs> Number nine though, you should pay off your student loans before buying a home. This is one that I think hurts a lot of folks because student debt is on the rise. It is becoming more of a problem. But in my experience, I have seen folks with student debt and I've seen folks with a lot of it and I've seen folks that paid it right away, tried to pay it off, or those that waited. Now, people are going to have different amounts of student debt, right? And some might have a small amount, and some might have a massive, breathtaking, scary amount, right? In whichever category you're in. Yep. Now, if you got a small amount, obviously pay it off as soon as you can. But some of us aren't in that position, right? And that's when it makes sense to have different strategies on how you handle your student debt. Is there ways that you can go maybe on an income-based repayment program and still invest and get assets because it's going to take a long time. And you have to do that analysis with someone that really knows their stuff. We talked to Joshua Cohen, fantastic student debt lawyer. Look him up if you are fighting student debt. Tell him the free retiree show sent you. But really, the people that have done well have acquired assets while battling their student debt. And there's actually a Harvard study that shows that middle-aged homeowners have an average net worth 60 times higher than middle-aged renters. So meaning if you got into your asset quicker and you just got that asset, it would really probably be much more beneficial than paying off, focusing on just paying off student loans. Like I think you got to figure out how you're going to tackle it. And each is going to have a different strategy on how to battle their student debt, but don't let it prevent you from investing in real estate, in good stocks, in different sectors. Like those, that should not stop you from that because I think that's going to be a bigger issue if you don't do those things just to tackle student debt first. And you might have a ton of it. And so that's going to set you back massively. I like that one. And let's go on to our last one, buying is always better than renting. You hear this one a lot. People say, ah, why would you rent when you can buy? But this is not always true. There's a higher cost when you buy a home. It can be significantly more expensive. And if you can't buy
apply it the right way, you will always be trapped in your home. So I think one of the biggest fallacies that's out there is your home is the greatest investment. It is not. Whoever said that should be shot because <laughs> no, that's too yeah. far. Too far. Too yeah, far. A little extreme. <laughs> but no, all kidding aside, that is a really dumb statement because the thing is that yes, a home can create wealth and it has done that for many folks, but also it has led to financial ruin as well. And people have not been able to get ahead, have been slaves to their home, lost their home because they couldn't afford it. That is also a common story that people just don't want to talk about. It's better to tell people at the dinner party how your home created your wealth versus, hey, this is how my home <laughs> made me broke and miserable. Yeah. People don't want to tell that story. It's just not as fun. Yeah, it's really interesting. No one really talks about like, because if you really run the numbers, there's an argument like if we were to buy a house right now, it's significantly more expensive on a monthly basis. And maybe long term, the ROI is more you get the equity in the house, but like short term, it's thousands of dollars more a month for us to own a house. Exactly. Exactly. And, it, and everyone's got different scenarios. We live yeah. in a very expensive part of the world, but make sure that if you're going to buy a home, don't have a payment where that's all you can afford. Your lender, your realtor will always get you a home. They will always find a way to get you a big home. They don't care if you're not going to have any retirement money. They don't care if you won't be able to make money after this. They just got to get you in the home because that's how they're going to get compensated. Now, try to make sure you live by the 28 36 principle. And that means 28% of your income should go to your housing. And then 36 should go to all your other additional debt. So really, you should be going over 36% of your income towards your housing. 28 is where it's at. Yep. The reason is because we have other expenses. We have other expenses in life and we got to put money away into other assets to move us forward because a home, and it is a great asset, statistically speaking, it's not the best asset. That's a fallacy that people say, oh, the home's the best asset you're buying. That is not pan out to be true. Investing in stocks and the market and investment in real estate, those provide great return, right? So a home could be something definitely better than a savings account. It can help you build equity. You can definitely put some money in your pocket. But if that's all you can afford, you might lack in other areas of your financial life. Facts. Love that one. Those are my tips. And search, I threw in a bonus tip for this episode for you. Ooh. Don't wait to spend your money on fun experiences. I like that. That's a good way to end it. Why did I throw this in here? I've been preaching it. Let's spend your money. <laughs> you Make, have been, you work hard. You are the YOLO man. You work hard. <laughs> You should be able to spend some money wisely every once in a while. It's okay to spend your money every once in a while. Absolutely. Because this is important because there is a mindset out there that people think, I can't do anything till I make this sort of amount of money, until I have this amount saved. And that's just no way to live a life right? I think being truly rich financially isn't meaning that you have a bunch of money in the bank. It means that you have money in the bank, but you also have a life. Like you're able to hang out with your friends. You're able to do cool stuff. And you got to figure out what that is. You got to figure out how you can save, how many months you need to save to go do these fun things. But it should not be stopped, right? Because I think you're going to be miserable and it's just not a good way to live your life. You know, that's the Sergio <laughs> Don't wait to have it. fun and spend your money because that is important. And it makes the journey so much better. For me and my wife, we we have like little things like that we're on our journey of building wealth. And every time we hit a little milestone, we're like, yeah, we got to celebrate. We do a little dance party. We talk about getting a bottle of, you know, we just talked about that. Maybe get a bottle of champagne, whatever it is. You got to celebrate things right? If you're doing a good job, man, celebrate the victories. That's good. That's a good way to end. And that is good to hear from you because you are usually a dream crusher. <laughs> you were telling us to do the 50, 30, 20. So that's a good way to end, man. Yeah. Yeah. If you listen to search six, I'm a dream crusher, but that is not true. I, I want people to embrace their dreams, accomplish their dreams. But yeah, sometimes that involves crushing some dreams in the process. Episode one, I feel like you crushed dreams. I did. That, I did. That's I, how you got the nickname. I, I, other people have called me dream crusher because of that. So I appreciate you <laughs> 
But hey, that's all we got for you folks. Make sure you check out our podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, get us on all the major podcast outlets. We're on Elevation Radio as well. If you got questions, financial related, crew related, make sure you send them to ask at the So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org, a separate entity. Me, Michael Murphy, is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Me, Michael Murphy, is an investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The free retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career advisor Sergio Patterson, attorney Matt McElroy, are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors, or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. Third-party source information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. All or portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Airbnb, Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McElroy do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and company.